have been, and it's about living the Christian life. It's about being sanctified, and it's living all of this doctrine that we learn from Scripture, and Scripture also is uh, living it. It's learning it, and it's living it, and then it's giving it, isn't it? Uh, the Christian life actually is very radical, and we see that as we live a different way, at least we're supposed to, in this world. Do you remember the time that uh, you became saved, that you were regenerated? You became a believer in Christ, a Christian. Do you remember that? Well, I'll tell you what, you probably don't forget that if you uh, are a Christian, right? There was a change that came to you that was very radical. Because all of a sudden, whether it be right on the spot or within a short amount of time, you started seeing things in your life that were changing. Over the course of time, they are definitely changing and you become different than you ever were before. Certain habits that you give up, you get different kind of habits that are good habits. You had a different outlook on life before and now you have a different world view than you ever did before. Your language probably even changed. You probably made new friends. And you started reading the Bible, you started praying, you started reading Christian books, you started going to Bible studies and worship, you listened to radio ministries, listened to Christian music. Overall, a total different change of attitude happened to you. And you know it was the Lord that did that. You didn't do it, He did it. He came in and made quite a change, whether it was instantaneous, which it is, you're a brand new person, but it starts showing in the course of time. But, you know, that's only the beginning because this is an ongoing, everyday process as we continue to be changed. He's not done with us yet. Praise the Lord, right? And I'm glad that He continues to change me and change all of us we were depraved sinners without any hope in the darkness. And now we have been changed into the image of Christ. We are being changed into the very image of Christ. It's a process, it's a lifetime adjustment that we make constantly and it's called sanctification. That's Romans chapter 12. We'll be closing that section out today, or at least Romans 12. We'll still continue on with how to live the Christian life as we move into 13 next, uh, next time, the Word of God makes an impression on us. The Holy Spirit moves in us as He convicts us of sin and righteousness and judgment. He convicts us of our sin and we desire to be more like Christ. We want to put the display of Christ in our lives as the Spirit works in us. We have the righteousness of Christ that has been placed into us. And it's a beautiful thing. And as Romans 12 said in the first verse, because of the mercies of God, because of uh, the mercies and the gifts, everything that God gave us, we are so thankful that we offer ourselves up as living sacrifices. Not animals, but ourselves. 
And that means to totally say, Lord, You have all of me. Not half of me, but all of me. That's what we mean. may not look like it at times, may not feel like it, but that's the idea to hand ourselves over to Him and to be transformed by the renewing of the mind, by the Word of God that lives in us. And that proves what is the will of God that He has for us as a church, as individuals. And we recognize that we fit into this body somehow. And we are in unity, and yet we are all unique. We are all different in the gifts that God has given us. And we find out that life is no longer about me. No longer is about ourselves, is it? Matter of fact, we find out, first of all, it's all about Christ. It's all about God. He is everything. But also, we are to be thinking of others in different spheres, whether it be in the body of Christ, whether it be the family at home, whether it be to our relationship with the outside world. And it goes on with that. And it actually goes to a sphere that's kind of hard to believe. We've already seen that we're not to be thinking about ourselves in that we have the love of God put in us. And we saw that. We saw that love is a self-sacrifice. No longer do we live for ourselves, whether it be with a relationship with the family, whether it be a husband and wife, or people in the church, or even outside. There is a self-sacrificing love where we lay ourselves down. We all know that. We've heard it many times. But this kind of love prefers others over ourselves. As it says in Philippians 2, as it said here in Romans, we finished last week in that section about contributing to the saints. With the gifts that we have been given, with the service that we are to do, we contribute to the needs of the saints. We are to be hospitable and looking out for others. And so a terrific change really happens when you become a Christian. The Lord tells us in His Word to hear the things that a Christian does. They're laid out. I don't make these up. I'm not putting forth something that's anything new, by the way, as we go through here. It will be something that you've heard many, many times. You've read it many times. And you know what Christ expects and you know what Christ has commanded us. I want to tell you, I'm going to try to convict you this week because I'm going to get back at you because I have been convicted all week as I have been going through this process, this passage that we've been dealing with, and I'm ready to move on. Actually, I know that I need to camp here for a little bit because even though we know these things, we go, yeah, yeah, I know that's right. But the thing is, are we really good at these things? Well, it's going to test your Christian walk as we go through this today. Don't tune out on me as I say that. We are here to live an absolutely radical life because Jesus was radical. Radical compared to the, the world's thinking, 
the world's living actually totally turned upside down. The problem is, if we're not renewing our mind, we're still thinking some things that we used to think. And hearing what the world says and living some of those things out. See, the sinner lives for himself, but not so is the Christian, because he's no longer focused on himself. He's focused on the Lord, the Lord's Word. He's focused on the needs of others. Now, you might be thinking, how much am I supposed to be giving up? Seems like a bit much sometimes, Lord. I mean, do you do you actually know what you're asking me to do? Well, He's not asking us to do anything. He's telling us this is what you are to do. We are totally giving ourselves over to Christ, right? We already have done that if you're a Christian, and we give it up every day. As we renew our mind, we're giving ourselves up to Him. And we have been studying that the last couple of weeks about the body of Christ and how it works. Now today, this fear that we are in has stretched out to what is super radical. This is like, okay, I can, I can buy the other stuff, but this text here, nah, that's not for me. I would rather just go ahead and do what I know to do best there, and that's to respond in a way whenever somebody's treated me, to respond in a way that the world would respond. Well, the Lord has news for us here. This next group is not family. It's not the church. It can be in a sense where the church definitely touches in on this and the family, but... What we've done is we've kind of enlarged that circle. And now we go to people that would be hard to love. He's already talked about love. And you can say, what is that? What is Christian living? Now he says, okay, and this is Christian living. He's been showing it. And now he closes out Romans 12 with something that seems completely radical. It is not natural to do any of these things. It is not the natural man to do some of the things that we've already seen previously. But we've already seen what he told us before he started with all of these commands. What did he do? I've equipped you with everything you need. You have all the tools. I've given you the gift. You have everything now to live the Christian life. Now, go for it. And then he tells us, piece by piece, what to do with what we've been given. It can't be any clearer than this as we go through it. And actually, I could just read it and it would be well enough. But no, I have to expound it a little bit more. We have some impossible commands here as far as the old man is concerned. But the old man is dead. We have a new man that's living in us. Put on the new self. Put on those clothes every day. It's already, you already are clothed. Remember, keep that up. Keep going to be not conformed to this world, 
but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. So here we go. Here's what it means to be a Christian. We've been looking at it, and now we're really going to hit on it. Knowing that we have the love of God, and we have the gifts that He's been given us to follow these commands. We have the Holy Spirit living within us. Don't ever say, I'm not going to do that. And I'll tell you what, if we're saying that, we are in deep sin. We are to say, Lord, how do you want me to live this? Oh, thanks for reminding me. I already knew this, but I know you're telling me that it's serious now. Do this. So, the commands that He gives us here are not optional. You have no right to bark back at God and say, no, I am going to do what I'm going to do. I don't care. See, it's not optional. Christianity is to be lived out. Christianity is being tested right here. Your faith, your Christianity is being tested with this text that we have today. And if you're not convicted, you're not paying attention. It should convict every Christian all over the world. And we should desire to be more in line with His truth that seems very difficult. But remember, He sends us to the school, the school of Christ. And His yoke is easy. And He says, learn from me. So, let's see how much we're tested here today. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask for help. Lord, great God, You are awesome indeed. As we are studying right in the heart of what it is to be a Christian, we see some difficult commands. But whenever You give commands, You always give us everything we need to do it. You never ask us or tell us to do anything without first equipping us and so therefore, as we look at this today, we see Christianity is put in a way that is very hard. But in Christ, and as we look at Christ and focus on Him, we see that this is Christ. And this is what Christianity is all about. Lord, we pray for Your Holy Spirit to make an impact on all of our lives. In Jesus' name, Amen. Let's uh, grab those Bibles. What a joy it is to turn those pages or to be flipping through and to read the very Word of God. Romans 12, verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. By being of the same mind toward one another, not being haughty in mind, but associating with the humble, do not be wise in your own mind, never paying back evil for evil to anyone, respecting what is good in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, being at peace with all men, Never taking your own revenge, beloved. Instead, leave room for the wrath of God. 
For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And that's the Word of God. You can be seated. Wow, this is radical. I keep using that word. But that's why, one of the reasons why the world hates us. And that's what it's going to start off with here in verse 14. Like I say, this could encompass all of the spheres of where we've been and where we're going, but I want to concentrate today on the enemies. People outside the, uh, the camp of Christianity, outside the camp of family. Uh, it's people in the world that hate Christ, uh, that hate you. Because in verse 14... Bless those who persecute you. And he uses that word again. Bless, and then he gives a negative, and do not curse. So, I have to think of what Jesus said in Matthew 5, Sermon on the Mount. He said, you heard it said that you are to love people. And remember the Sermon on the Mount starts off with blessed ours, right? All the way through there, Matthew in uh, chapter 5. And uh, of course we have the blessed ours all the way through verse 12. And you get to verse 43 and he says this. This is what a blessed person really is. Now he says, you've heard it said you shall not love, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. You heard that. Now, that's what they proceeded to preach and proclaim and teach. You've heard that said, to love your uh, neighbor and hate your enemy. I don't think that they were to hate their enemy. Did God ever say that? But He says, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Well, in our Romans, I think that ties in with this. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. This comes directly from Jesus. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. That's who we love. We love everybody. There's a different level of love all the way through. Like I say, there's a family love. There's a love that you have with husband and wife. There is love that you have of your neighbors and then you know, even loving the enemies. To lay yourselves down for your enemies. So, uh, he mentions persecution here in our Romans 12.14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless them. Uh, persecution means to pursue someone with the intent of doing harm, that's persecution. To pursue them, really go out after them to bring on harm, whether it be physical or whether it be 
mental abuse, what have you. And we are to respond to those who pursue us with the uh, intent of doing harm to us. And what are we to do? Give them a blessing. That is really odd. You know what it is? It's wishing them the best. That's the thought. Jesus, you've gone a little bit overboard here, kind of stressing how we're to love this, right? I mean, that's the natural man trying to respond there. Uh, The thing is, we know that, yes, we are persecuted, and the more that we stand for righteousness, stand for Christ, stand against the world, we will be persecuted in a sense. Here in America, there is persecution going on. There is that sense, and we know we've heard that topic many, many times, but uh, Jesus makes a comment about it, and I think it's worth the effort to look that up in chapter 15, starting at verse 18. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. Did the world hate Christ? Yeah, the world crucified Him. He died in the worst way. The world did that. It was the religious people that started it. So it was the Jews that did it. It was the Romans who did it and put Him on the cross. And let's go out a little bit further. We did it. All mankind did it from Adam all the way into future time till Christ comes back. They will hate Christ. It's as if they, uh, if He's hated His people will be hated. It says, verse 19, If you were of the world, the world would love its own. They want you to go along with it. And if you don't, guess what? But because you are not of the world, uh, but I chose you out of the world, even though we live in this world, we're not of it. He chose us out of that. Because of this, the world hates you. Because you are chosen. That's why you're hated by the rest of the world and the way it's going. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake because they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have sinned, but now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my Father also. So if they hate us, they're really hating Christ, and they're really hating God the Father. And that's really what it boils down to. So that's easy. We've we've heard that many, many times. The thing is, when we stand for Christ against the world, we'll experience it. Last Saturday, I guess a little a week ago, there was a guy by the name of Derek Reimer. He went to protest. This is about persecution. He went to protest a, protest a drag queen story hour in the public library in Calgary, Canada. Christians are really being persecuted in Canada. And he went there to actually 
tell them that this was a wrong thing to do, which is the right thing to do for him to do that. And it was for children of all ages. We've got children of all ages here. Can you imagine our kids being in a situation where they have to be read to by somebody about drag queens and having a story there uh, coming from that angle? What Reimer did was he preached the gospel and he called out homosexuality and transgenderism as a sin before he was forcibly removed. I don't know if you saw any clips or not, but there were more is more than one person that shoved him out of the room and he was decked to the floor. And uh, he was actually done that by multiple people. There was video of it and everything. It shows two men throwing him down and he goes down to the floor and he says, Jesus Christ is Lord. Turn to Jesus and to repent. That's rather bold. But he's calling out what we really are to be doing when they hear something. Can you imagine children being in that kind of situation? We've been hearing a lot of things up in Columbia, Missouri. Uh, about this and that made big news and of course uh, there were a lot of people thought it was just a great thing to do parents and such and definitely schools there's a law in Canada now that forbids saying that homosexuality and genderism is wrong Uh, well that's Canada well the thing is it's definitely coming this way and it kind of already is it's not necessarily all law yet but this is religious persecution and it's harassment on a high level to people that are just trying to be right and tell them they want to protect the kids and yet you'll have school boards saying we're protecting the kids and then you find out they have all of these books in the school library and there are the uh, a group of people in Arizona actually they're women and they're called um, bear mama bears because a lot of them got together and they went to the church or, or the the council the school council and and the meeting there school board and such and one of them tried to speak out and they were shut down just immediately because they said the, the books. And one of them tried to go ahead and read what was in one of those books. Now, it would be not any kind of words or anything that I'd even want to repeat here, and they didn't either, but they said, here's what it, they started to say it. They were shut down and says, you can't say that in this meeting. It's not appropriate. Those words that are put in there are not good to say here. <laughs> These are the same people, and then they say, and then they said, "It's we are protecting the children by the." But they have the books that did you see what they just? They were caught, and people laughed when they said that. They all knew what they just said, but yet they had no other answer, so they gave that ridiculous answer. They just blew everything away. But that's that's what they do. Well, uh, it could very well be on its way here. It probably kind of is. Uh, At the same time, how do we approach this? Well, not everybody's going to do what that pastor did. There's different ways of approaching. I'm not saying everybody has to go to the library and do that. But if you're called to do it, you, uh, you might wind up doing it. 
So he says, bless and not curse. So how do we respond to persecution? Well, first of all, we do not compromise. We do stand for righteousness always. And we call out wretched sin when it is that wretched. But at the same time, we never curse or the persecutors. We never curse them, but actually we bless them. And that's really what this pastor did. He gave them the gospel and he said that they need to repent. And Jesus Christ is Lord. They need to know that. Well, I'm sure they don't hear it. They do not want to hear it at all. But uh, I will tell you that it's a hard thing to bless people when they're that way, isn't it? I know if I let my natural reaction rule, it'll do something that I shouldn't do. Because there is a, an old response that I would like to do and call them out and then, I don't know if I would necessarily cuss at them, but maybe I would have the wrong attitude back with them. I have to let God's Spirit and Word reign. As I'm calling out what truth is, I must also do it with gentleness, reverence, and love because God is a God of balance. And that's what we always do. Anytime there's somebody that disagrees with what we have, we always approach it with love. So, uh, the more we stand out for Christ, the more that we will have opportunities to be persecuted. I'm not saying don't look for persecution. It will come. If we don't identify with Christ's cause and His righteousness, well, the less that we'll have the danger of persecution. And less will be the temptation to even retaliate because we will have not said anything. Now, what does it mean to bless Bless those, okay? Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Bless. What is it? Well, uh, the word is eulogia. E-U is good. Logia is dealing with an expression, a word, a speaking uh, a word, let's say. Just speak a good word. You heard of eulogy? That's, come, come, that's what you would have in a funeral uh, message. And... Uh, it says some things about that person, you know, who they, uh, who they were, and they'll mention good things. And so it's dealing with blessing and not cursing. When we pray for our enemies, do you know what we're doing? We're asking God to bless them, to, go, to do good to them, to give them mercy and grace and goodness. We're actually asking God, God, would you bless them? And do good to them. How often have we done that? Well, you see, so often the self is consumed with itself. And that's what we are to be dying daily. We haven't arrived yet. We all have problems with some of these things. We want to get better though, don't we? We get better at it by the power of God. And... So, as we pray for our enemies, we have to realize that it's not about my rights anyway, is it? When is it ever about us? If we die to self, it's not about us, right? Okay, Dennis, what about road rage? 
Well, you, and and you're not you're not talking that you guys have road rage. I'm sure you don't. Christians don't do that. What uh, what about if somebody else has road rage? John MacArthur had a really good illustration. It was somewhat kind of funny after it was pretty staggeringly frightful. Uh, I will read a little paragraph or two that he wrote about this. This happened to him. Says this, uh, somebody, and I, it's in my words, L.A. road rage. If you've been to L.A. and you've driven on those highways, it's scary. You see motorcyclists doing 120 miles an hour going in and out cars. I mean, it just blew my mind. And Pete, who I was riding with, I said, is this kind of unusual? He said, oh, no, this happens all the time. He says, matter of fact, it's not unusual. A couple miles down the road, you will probably see that uh, that motorcycle had a crash. And most often, going 120 miles an hour, you can pretty well know what the result is. And it happens like that all the time, he said. I go, you got to be kidding me. And you know what? Later that, that evening, I think it was the same day, that evening, going back to his house. That's exactly what happened. There was a crash and we were in a kind of a log jam for quite a while, just sitting. Till we found an exit to get out of there and go another way. So anyway, it's not unusual that things really like crazy happen there in LA. Well, somebody thought that MacArthur, MacArthur took his space on the road John pulls over the car, which I'm not so sure I would ever want to do. And the shirtless guy came up to the window of the driver's side, where MacArthur is sitting as he's driving. And he started spewing out all sorts of profanity, you can imagine. Well, when the man was done, John Mack asked if he felt better. Okay, <laughs> do you feel better? And uh, then he, MacArthur said, I don't know what this is all about, but if I've done anything to offend you, I'm sorry. Now, when you know or you don't think you've done anything like that, it's kind of hard to say, especially with the words that this man has been doing. And so, as soon as MacArthur said that, he said he reached back his fist, and with all the power in his fist, he hit the window as hard as he could. See, MacArthur didn't roll it down. <laughs> and he left a layer of skin on the window. And of course, then he went, oh, who knows what else he said. And then we know that um, he, he was hurting. Uh, but he started grabbing his hand. And what he did, he it was actually absolutely out of control, was he not? This man was, he thought somebody had invaded his space, and he owned that space. And MacArthur just sort of blessed the man, saying, I'm very sorry, I, I wouldn't have inconvenienced you in any way, and, and left it at that. And uh, then MacArthur said, maybe you ought to just get in your car and go on home which he, he did. He got his car with his very sore hand. MacArthur then said, the Lord has had a way recently of giving me the opportunity to live through the passage. 
this passage. I think that's what he was studying on during the week. I'll be very happy when I get out of this passage. I am anxious to get on with verse 15, if you don't mind. (laughs) What did Jesus say? Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. They were killing Him, torturing Him in a way which is unimaginable. And He says, if they hate Me, they'll hate you. But he was giving a good word to them. There was a guy by the name of Stephen in the book of Acts, chapter 7. He's being persecuted. Guess who he's being persecuted by? I think Paul was standing there. And they had the, you know, the coats closed there. Uh, what did Stephen do? Basically the same thing. Father, forgive him as he's being killed. He said some of the very same words that Christ had said on the cross. And you go, wow, that is living Christianity. He hadn't been a Christian for that long. But he knew what it was. Uh, Augustine said the church owes Paul to the prayer of Stephen. Instead of having some kind of resentment to someone who wronged him, Consider the case, Robert Cornish says, consider the case rather than your own. Gope. That can charm all your resentment away and turn it into pity and concern. You're hearing somebody outside the window that sits rolled up and man, you can hear him real easy. You don't need to open the window. You can hear him and he's really yelling madly at you and there's no right for him to do it. And consider this person who has just offended you greatly. You know what? Cast it to Christ. He said, well, he's doing it to me. You're taking it personally. And you're not to take things personally. See, if you turn it over to Christ, He'll take care of it. What He tells us to do, and this is amazing, I know, I'm going, wow. Bless and do not curse. Here's your positive, here's your negative. You can twist around it and say, well, that's not me. I don't have that gift. This is the the gift chapter. No, 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 no. This is how you live after you have the... This is how you live with a world gone mad that's crazy. You bless them. You bless them. You take all that resentment and what you do as you start thinking, this person is not a Christian. They're lost in their <coughs> sins. Lord, have mercy on their souls. Because this person was created by God, and if they continue this way, they will go to hell. Do you know how bad the flames are there? Hell's real. And we don't want to see people that we've come into contact with. By the way, it's not accident. There's always a test coming our way. How are we going to respond is what it's all about. You say, Dennis, can we go back to Romans chapter 9, please? (laughs) Pretty heavy duty, isn't it? Pretty heavy.
Give them a blessing. Eulogia. Well, number two now. Verse 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. So you say, okay, it says to bless my enemies. Okay, Paul, since he wrote this, Paul, um, how do we do that? Paul is being inspired by the Holy Spirit. And he says, this is what you start with. You rejoice with those who rejoice. Be empathetic. Empathetic. Empathetic means this. It's having the ability to identify closely with someone else. To have empathy is to identify with somebody else. And in this case, let's go ahead and take it as, a, as an unbeliever. They're lost. It's to take interest in that person. And you stop thinking about yourself and, yeah, they're offending God with all the language that they're using. It's horrible, but you cut through it. It's not that God is surprised that He's never heard such words in all of eternity. Here's it all the time. It is sad. It's even sadder when we as Christians sometimes can use language and to not represent Christ. But we're not to be thinking about ourselves all the time. Whenever there's an opportunity to celebrate somebody, let's say there's something to rejoice about, legitimately rejoice and celebrate with them. Something good has come their way. Some kind of success. They've done something to earn some kind of reward, they're prospering. You can say, yeah, but they don't, they don't serve it. They're an unbeliever. They're hateful people. And he says, celebrate with them. It's kind of hard, isn't it? He says, do it. Rejoice when someone else is rejoicing. Weep with those who weep. There's the other side. When somebody's going through a very difficult time. You can say, yeah, they deserve it. They've been sinning badly and they deserve it. Matter of fact, somebody might really stick it into their ribs and tell them how bad they have been and they deserve it, right? Well, that's the way of a natural man is. They'll kick people when they're down. Christian uh, actually is distinctly Christian in being sympathetic not indifferent to some situation, but to be sympathetic. The word weep means to shed tears. Literally, it's very strong. And it's an evidence of how a Christian shows sympathy. They're so taken by a person in the way that they are downtrodden. And they're going through a personal bad time. You know, Jeremiah was called the weeping prophet. And he had something to say that all throughout his prophecy showed that he was a man of emotions that felt for his people, Israel, and he would weep for them. In Jeremiah 9.1, Oh, that my head were waters and my eyes a fountain of tears, that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. He did have tears. 
constantly he had such a love for them that he was right there with them. He identified. So blessing the ones not cursing, rejoicing, or weeping. And we know that that is a high road, but we don't always take it. The next one is by being of the same mind toward one another, not being haughty in mind, but associating with the humble. Do not be wise in your own estimation. And we're going to go through these rather quick. This would be under the heading of be amicable. And you might say, I've heard that word, what is it? Well, it means to be easy to get along with. You know, you ever heard of certain people who say, you'll get along with them just fine. You will do okay. Listen, that person will reason with you. He, he will listen to you. They, you know, they're confident that they are easy to get along with. Uh, it's the idea of living harmony with. Now, a lot of these can be right in with the church, right? But like I say, if we press this to those ones that are enemies, it would be well for us to do. Uh, say, okay, well, what are, you, what are you saying? Let's say don't cause turmoil when you know it, it can. Sometimes it's better to watch what you say. To bite the tongue, maybe not say anything sometimes. We should be like Christ being to offer truth if they're willing to hear that. We should not be like Christian crusaders. Remember the crusaders? 10, 11, 1200s. We're not to be Christian crusaders who are always looking for a fight, always looking for a debate, so we can win the debate or try to hunt down enemies. That's not the case. We are, though, too, as it says in Hebrews, or uh, Peter, I believe it is, uh, that we are to give really an apology. An apologetic. Not an apology in a way, oh, I'm sorry, I apologize, but it's a defense of the faith. And we are to do that. Don't You know, I can be saying this, say, well, we never should be disagreeing with them or anything. But we give them truth, but we always balance it with, the, with love. And, of course, that's how Christ always did it. He always balanced it but he had to hit with the truth. Be of the same mind toward one another. Look in John, or, uh, Romans 15.5. Now may the God of perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus. Now he says there, the God of perseverance and encouragement. The God who he gives us the strength, the encouragement, the perseverance to be like-minded or to get on the level of where they are at, to speak to them. We are to love and win people, not root them out and beat them senseless, but to love them with the truth and to win them to Christ. If that's not the time, then it's okay. 
but don't be always browbeating them and saying, this is what this says here and you have to do it and that kind of thing. We know that that never really gets anybody's attention and you turn them off completely. So to be amicable is one who wants to get along with everybody, if it's possible. And he'll address that in a moment. He says in that same verse to be humble. Associating with the humble, or, or actually we'll say be humble first. Leon Morris said the person who is wise in his own eyes, listen to this, is rarely so in the eyes of others. If we're wise in our own eyes, another person can say, no, he's not so wise, is he? Watch it, right? Uh, in Romans 12, 3, earlier, we talked about humble, and so therefore I'm not going to spend much time on this. For through the grace given to me, I say to each one among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think as to have sound thinking. Don't think higher of yourself, is the idea. The next one, these are like bang, 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 aren't they? But they all are tied together. Associate with the humble. That's really what we are. We are the humble. Christ was humble with a gentle spirit. Christ was humble. He still is humble. A low position, you see, when Christ came to us, we were ones who hated Him, but He humbled us as He brought us to Him. We were of a low position. And He's saying here, when you go to people who are lost or even enemies of you, associate with them as seeing them as important and you're not the important one. Even if we have a position uh, where we work at or whether we're in a respectable position, everybody knows it. Uh, Jesus was very well known, but he came to the people and uh, he ate with sinners, tax collectors. And, you know, he was criticized for that by the religious. You see, regardless of what kind of background that they've had, regardless of whatever they're doing, you can think of a million things. Regardless of that, just remember what they really need. Because they are in the position that we once were. You look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Verse 26. For consider your calling, brethren. Isn't that great? Think about your calling. He called you out of the world, out of darkness, into this marvelous light. And we need to consider it. Isn't it a blessing? Oh, it's that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. 
But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. And the base things of the world and the despised God has chosen the things that are not so that He may abolish the things that are so that no flesh may boast before God. So, not many mighty, not many noble. We really were nothing. We were on the level of dirt. And look what He's done to us. We're on the level of heavenly living. What a vast change. Is that radical? That's what He's done to you. And it was done in a moment's time when He saved you. And so He says, you were lowly. And He says, remain lowly. And remember, when you speak to them, that even though they are in a pitiable situation, they're definitely totally opposite of us, but there's a reason why they're sitting right by you. And you're going, hmm, glad I'm not like that person. No, I don't think you're saying that. You know what? That uh, is one who would say like uh, we see where Jesus talks about that parable of the man who thought he was righteous. Self-righteous. And then there was a man that said, mercy, mercy on me. Because he realized that he was nothing as we all are without Christ. We need the mercy of God to have Christ. Let's look at Luke 14, verses 12 through 14. He also went on to say to the one who had invited him, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and that will be your repayment. Now it's not saying you can't eat with other Christians. Today you might want to go out with somebody here and fellowship with them. We use wisdom here, but what is he's making a point? He says, even more when you've got an opportunity, when that arises, when you get a reception, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, the outcast, you know, and you will be blessed. <clears throat> Since they do not have the means to repay you, for it will be repaid to you at the resurrection of the righteous. But when all those who were reclining at the table with him heard this, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. They will all be on the same level and they will all be, be blessed in that sense that we'll all be reclining there. And he's saying right now, the kingdom that we're in, hey, reach out to those people who would be the unlovely. They would be the people that are very lowly. They are important. They were created by God. And he said, I would never want to do that. Somebody might see me. What would happen if some people came here that were entirely different? 
sit down in their chairs. What would we do if they were entirely different, dressed differently, just really kind of odd looking? Would we just go our merry way and walk on out of here? Or would we go right up to them and say, hey, welcome, we're glad to have you. Uh, anything that I can do for you or anything, you give them a bulletin and then you, you introduce yourself, you start talking and you know, find out who they are, what they're doing. The thing is, I think the traditional church down through the years has been that way. And you know what? I'm not saying that we're absolutely perfectly righteous, but I think if we had people come in here, I think we would go to those people and we wouldn't say, they, should, they don't belong here. They need to get out of here. Um, maybe have some other persuasion or what have you. What are they doing? You know, there would be a different color or different country or what have you, I think we'd be the first to go right up to them and say, hey, we are glad to have you. That's really, all of us came from such different backgrounds. There's not too many of us here that came from families of high political respect or, and that's not necessarily a positive thing anymore, is it? Or from a from other lines that would be considered to be wealthy, extremely wealthy is what I'm talking about. We all come from humble means for the most part. The Lord has blessed us, but uh, you know, I think we know that some people are hurting. Some people are in pain, spiritually, physically, what have you. There's a lot of things there. Would we be the people that go to them and welcome them in, looking for an opportunity to not only maybe give the gospel to them, but to disciple them with love. If they're here, or if they're in our opportunity and our everyday walk, and we run into them, and all of a sudden we're talking, uh, we look for that opportunity. Well, you know, I think that's what this church was really kind of made of. We are kind of different. Uh, If somebody came in, I I know most churches would would welcome that if they're biblical, but sometimes I've seen where those churches aren't so good with people that aren't like them. That's why James wrote what he did when he talked about people coming in and not offering them a good place to sit. He said, offer them the best. So that's kind of the idea. Um, We go back to our Romans. I thank the Lord for people that go and deal with people that need to be paid attention to. And that's why I say I'm not condemning us. Uh, Matter of fact, we want to even be better at it, but I think the Lord has blessed us in that. That's why we came about. It's who we are. It's who we are. It's a good thing. Then he goes to um, 17, never paying back evil for evil to anyone, respecting what is good in the sight of all men. If you go uh, back to 14, remember verse 14, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. And here we've got, don't pay evil back for evil to anyone. We don't do that. We do what? We bless them. We respect them and we do what is good. 
And you can say, okay, uh, it says here to don't repay evil. Don't pay back evil for evil to anyone. And somebody's going to say, I don't think anybody here would say this, but what about an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth? <laughs> right? That's in the Bible. That's in the Old Testament. It's in the law. It's in the Pentateuch. Eye for an eye and tooth for tooth. Yes, absolutely. Yep. It is there. And it still is to be used. Only not by individuals. But in our very next chapter, which is chapter 13, which is about the government, they are to take care of that. What about that eye for an eye? Well, in 13.4 it says this, For the government is a minister of God, a servant to do to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid. If you do it, for it does not bear the sword in vain. For it's a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. Okay, somebody kills somebody, and that is a loved one that just got killed. And you say, okay, that's enough. And you go and pursue that person and you kill them. Well, you know what the government is supposed to do? If they caught you and they know you did it, they are to actually take your life too. You say, yeah, but they killed that guy and... It just and that's what's saying. Don't ever take revenge. And this right here, this idea of an eye for an eye, is for the the governing authorities that has that. It's not for individuals ever to say, "Okay, he poked me in the eye, and I'm going to poke him back." And I know in families we tend to do that real easy. <laughs> they did that, so therefore I'm going to do this. Well, even then we don't even have the right to do that, do we? Um, let's turn to 1 Thessalonians 5.15. See that no one repays another with evil for evil, but always seek after that which is good for one another and for all people. Sounds like the same thing, doesn't it? How about 1 Peter 3, verse 9? Not returning evil for evil, or reviling for reviling, but giving a blessing. Here it is. This is the rock saying this. This is Peter. You remember, A Lord. I'll go out after him. Right? It's Peter. Well, he did become the stone later. He was Simon for a lot of times. <laughs> Giving a blessing instead, for you were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. You bless somebody and you will be blessed. So, what is the word good here as we go back to our Romans 12? What is good? Uh, good is uh, kalos. It means good or it means what is right. I think that's what I did there. Do the right thing. Do not pay evil for evil. Uh, kalos means proper. It means fitting. It means better. It means honorable. Uh, it means honest. So some of you 
uh, who have different translations have probably just caught some of those words that I just read to you. And so they're all right. Our translations, even though they, they vary, are related to each other. Christians are to lead the way in whatever is good, whatever is right, whatever is honest. That's the idea of kalos. We are to pursue the very best. Do what is good. Do what is right. The very best. You know, whenever people see that we do our very best, hopefully it will be seen as living on the high plane. We want to take the high road. And even unbelievers a lot of times recognize it. It may be offensive to them, but they recognize it. Our enemies, we want them to recognize the high road. Let's move on. Verses 18 through 21. This is going to go by really quick because it's all related. It's about almost like where we've been at, but if possible. So far as it depends on you being at peace with all men. Never taking your own revenge, beloved. Instead, leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This last one is called keep the peace. The blessed are the ones who are the peacemakers. We've been talking about blessing. You give somebody a blessing, God in turn will bless you. Blessed are the peacemakers when there's an opportunity to get into a horrible argument. Back off. And there are two things that we need to look at that. First of all, we have to we also we have to look at the realism about it. The behavior of others may not allow us to have peace because they don't want it. They're not going to have it. You tried, it's not going to be there, and you go, okay. And that's it. You tuck it away. If it's possible, you tried, it's not possible. Or issues that are impossible because you are a Christian. There's certain things that are not to be compromised, and that's truth. It's honesty, it's justice, it's purity, other important matters. And they may make peace unattainable. Even in your own family, mother, father, brother, sister, where they don't agree with what you agree with about the Bible or your Christ-like life. And uh, they want to. They do things that are really bad to you. Say bad things to you. Well, it's because of Christ. It's not because of you, but it's because you're doing the right thing. Here is what it is to like in Proverbs, Proverbs chapter ten. Look at all of these. As far as the flesh is concerned, versus the spiritual man, Proverbs ten verse twelve. Hatred stirs up strife. So that's what happens. We see an argument coming. Don't let strife happen. But love covers a multitude of sins, or all transgressions, if you have love for them. 12, verse 16. An ignorant fool's anger is known at once, but a prudent man conceals disgrace. 
Chapter 14, verse 9, Ignorant fools scoff at guilt, but among the upright there is favor. Chapter 15, verse 1, A gentle answer, you've heard of this one, turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. It will every time. You have opportunity to come right back and get a harsh word in. You know what you've just done? You've done what the unbeliever does. He stirs up anger. And you make it come out even more. The way of the wicked in verse 9 is an abomination to Yahweh. But He loves one who pursues righteousness. Chapter, uh, let's move to chapter 17. Verse 9. He who covers a transgression seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close companions. Mm. Verse 14, the beginning of strife is like letting out water. So abandon the dispute before it even breaks out. We have all had those. That is wisdom out of the Proverbs, and I don't care whether it's to an unbeliever or a believer or somebody in the family. This is how we operate. And you can say, boy, I blew it this week. Hmm. <laughs> Not giving us an excuse to sin, I'm just saying we can get better, right? Can we all get better? It's going to take a lifetime, but you want to see progression. That's really what, not perfection, we'll never be there until Christ comes back. But there should be progression. Not regression, guys. And I know that anger is one of the worst things that we battle. Do not take revenge is what he says. Matthew 5.39, the very words of Jesus are said. If you want to look that up, you can move on. It says in our text, Vengeance belongs to God. That was taken right out of the Old Testament. Look at the law. Look in Deuteronomy 32. Deuteronomy 32, verse 35. I think this is the last text we're going to turn to here now. It all kind of goes together, doesn't it? Don't take revenge. Who takes it? God does. What does Deuteronomy say? 32, 35. Vengeance is mine and retribution. In due time their foot will stumble. For the day of their disaster is near. And the impending things are hastening upon them. There we go. That's why we can say, you just give it back to the Lord. You can say, yeah, but you don't know my wife. You don't know my husband. You don't know my brother, my sister, and uh, that gives you the right now to go ahead and give them vengeance, right? Never. We never have the right ever, ever to bring back vengeance upon anyone because he just said it. He says, it's mine. I'll take care of it. You can say, but, 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 but Lord, he, he, he did this. He said this. He's been saying it all my life. I'm getting tired of it. He says, leave it alone. What's he say? I've got this. You can say, but... And he says, I've got this. I've got it. Calm down. It's okay. I've got it. Yeah, but they have to be taught by somebody and I'm going to jam it down their throat until they get it. No. I've got this. You're going to save them? Are you going to save them? No. 
You know, they already know the truth. Yeah. Be good. Right? Yeah, everybody knows that. Why isn't that person good to me? Let the Lord take care of it. You can say, yeah, but that doesn't work. Oh, you telling the Lord that? It will work, by the way. It may not be now. It might not be next week. It might not be next year. It may not be in ten years and you may not ever see it. But I will tell you, God will judge. Just what He said there in Deuteronomy 32. What He's saying here in Romans. Do we believe God or not? But but I'm going to do it because they're not changing and I'm going to tell them about it anyway. Gentle. Gentle. If gentleness doesn't work, let the Lord do it. We say, well, I'm not going to be gentle because that doesn't work. So I'm going to do it my way. World. Has it ever gotten you anywhere? Recognize who's the judge? God is. The times of attack on us is a test of faith. Your faith is being tested. He says, do good. Do good to them. If they're hungry, feed them. Thirsty, give. Whatever their need is, do it. Then it talks about the wrath of God. He says, vengeance is mine. I will repay. But you go ahead and feed the hungry or whatever that is. He's saying, and then you know when he says, heap burning coals on his head. We like that. There is a sense of that's being good. If we take it this way, you know, good can be used as a weapon. When you treat somebody good that doesn't deserve it, what a weapon it is! Because just getting back at them, I've found out, doesn't get anywhere to anybody. Be wise. Don't be foolish, like Proverbs said. You're going to live by the Proverbs, right? Leave room for God's wrath. Well, do good even to our enemies. That's exactly what it's saying, isn't it? There's an old Egyptian ritual. It was known in the ancient of days, ancient days, when a man in the Egyptian culture wanted to demonstrate his public shame and his public guilt, and when he wanted to show his spirit of repentance, he would carry on his head, guess what? A pan of burning coals. People would see that, they'd know what he was saying. That was supposed to represent the burning pain of shame. The burning pain of guilt. Because it does burn. And when somebody does a really good deed, even though they might even get back at you even more, tell you what, it's putting a burning shame and guilt on them. That's built into them. So Paul is saying, when you treat an enemy with love, and you feed him, and you quench his thirst, you put on his head a burning shame for the evil done. Do we understand that? You make that person feel shame, and a burning shame, and how you do it is you just give them good. Be not overcome by evil, as he turns this to the close of chapter 12. Don't overcome by evil, but overcome with good. With what is right. What is honest. What is honorable. That is distinctly Christian, my friends. That is Christian. Overcome evil with good. By the way, the word for overcome, 
is Nike, actually. Nikao, Nike, which means victory. It means to conquer. He's the conqueror, and we are more than conquerors because of Christ in us. Be the conqueror. Conquer evil by doing good. Don't respond like that old person that you used to be who's dead. You know what? We are overcomers. You know what that means? We are winners. We can do every bit of this. You can say, no, that's not me. Well, then you're probably not a Christian. You don't want to do those things? I would, I would be so bold to say, if you don't want to do those things, then you don't love your neighbor. And in First John it says, if you don't love your neighbor, you don't love God. If you don't love God, you are lost. That's how serious it is. And I close with this. All of this that we've looked at today, through chapter 12, that is what a Christian is. It equals a Christian. Let's pray. Father, great God, You've given us certainly things to consider. And we all know these are all right. We've been in agreement with them for a long time. And yet, we still battle with these things. And we know that Your power can overcome these. This is how we do it. This is how we do it as we see in Scripture we have been given a steady diet of the truths coming from God. There is an opposite way and it comes from the world. We're going to do one or the other. Lord, by Your Spirit, may we be able to do these and honor You and put these things even better into practice than we ever had before so that we can honor and glorify You. In Jesus' name we pray, Amen. Amen.